another world, another time, in the age of wonder. You are listening to Trial by Stone. Trial by Stone. Trial by Stone. This is what I came for. Your vital essence, the dark crystal. I can feel something. Hear it almost. Don't move. Don't move. Where would I go? Fire! Here's your host, Philip Mitchell. Hello and welcome to Trial by Stone, and this is episode 3 of the podcast for October 2014. And we've got a big show this month, with news and rumours of the Dark Crystal and Labyrinth sequels into the spotlight, and we have Toby Philpot on the show, with the interview coming up shortly. With no time to waste, let's get into the news the Crystal Bats have transmitted to us this month. And begin all the same big change. Sometimes good, sometimes bad. Crystal bats fly! Search the land! Search the water! Search the sky! So in early October, the internet went crazy. First, there was announcements on the return of Twin Peaks, the Ghostbusters reboot, and finally, Labyrinth and Dark Crystal sequel developments. And it all started with an article on Variety by Dave McNary, with a report on Billy Crystal teaming up with the Jim Henson Company to write, produce, and star in the upcoming animated film, Witch Witch. Then, towards the the end of the article, it briefly mentioned projects that's in development, including a Fraggle Rock movie, and sequels for Labyrinth and the Dark Crystal. Most of the attention was towards the Labyrinth sequel news, however, it was denied by the Jim Henson Company via an article on Entertainment Weekly. However, Variety has updated the article and mentioned that while Jim Henson Company are working on a project based on Labyrinth, it isn't a sequel. For me, this seemed very non-news, which just became news to the media. Right now, I, I don't see a sequel to Labyrinth happening anytime soon, though the closest thing to a sequel of sorts is the um, Tokyo Pop manga Return to Labyrinth. And, you know, if you haven't read it and you're a fan of Labyrinth, I'd suggest checking it out. As for the Dark Crystal sequel, that's old news. You know, the film has been in development for over 10 years. And for me, like, well, I do have hope. I won't believe it until they start shooting the movie. It's been interesting to see the Dark Crystal mythology expanding with manga and graphic novels, the launch of an official website, and contests as well. I believe that all of this will eventually lead into a movie, though I'm not holding my breath and just simply wait and see. This month, BAM and the Jim Hansen Foundation have organized a mammoth of puppets on film session, which includes a screening of The Dark Crystal. Brian, Wendy and Toby Froud, as well as J.M. Lee will be in attendance for the screening, and it's on the 24th of October in New York. More details at www.bam.org forward slash puppets. For next month's show, there will be a roundtable discussion of the fan event with J.M. Lee and other guests to discuss about the night of the event. Stay tuned for more details on Facebook and Twitter. Now, for this month's show, I had an opportunity to interview Toby Philpot. He was one of the many puppeteer performers who worked on The Dark Crystal. 
as a mystic, a Gotham, a Podlings, and more. He has gone through many other career paths, from street performer, juggling, fire-eating, clowning, acrobatics, and a lot more than what I've just mentioned. Now let's go to the Podling Village and chat to Toby on his work on The Dark Crystal. It does actually seem, just from my own experience, just personal experience here, for the last sort of 10 years since I've been going out doing signings, it's almost always been Star Wars, even if at a sci-fi convention and so on. And I've always mentioned Dark Crystal as how I got the job. And, and I know Labyrinth has a kind of cult following with young girls because it's a, it's, a, it's a girls coming of age movie and, you know, most movies are boys coming of age movies. So that seems to have quite a big cult. But just for both Dark Crystal and Labyrinth, have, have e- there's been an increase of interest in the people at conventions I've been to. They, I, I don't know what it is. I mean, I know there's always been these rumours of a second film and that's never going to happen as far as I know. But it seems to have, it, it seems to have come around. Maybe it's a new generation watching it or something. I don't quite know, but uh, it, a year ago, I wouldn't have sold a Dark Crystal photo at a convention. And this year, I have a few out, and they're nearly always people go, oh, look, I'm not really a Star Wars fan, actually, but I love that film, you know, and it's just, uh, it seems to have turned a corner somehow. Yeah, I think it has, yeah. I mean, especially, like, with the, um, I guess, no, I don't know if it's, like, especially with the new Star Wars movie that's coming out, how they're sort of going back to the old, you know, techniques i guess of the past um yeah with that jj video um that had um that everyone described that puppet as a very dark crystal yeah creature yeah well i mean that's the structure of the the puppet that walked across the background of of that video is exactly like the junk woman in labyrinth the puppet is standing upright and the head is around about the stomach height so you're operating the 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 mouth this way rather than that way you know the the and the puppet is hidden in the in the load on the shoulders, basically. So structurally, it's it's a very familiar object, you know, to me. As soon as it walked on, I went, "Oh yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that looks familiar. exactly like that." Yeah. <laughs> There's only yeah. so many things you can do, you know. So you know, thank you, thank you so much, by the way, for being on on the show. Oh no worries. I, I like I say, I I'm actually slightly more proud of Dark Crystal than I am of Star Wars. I don't normally say that out loud because people are so obsessed with Star Wars, but. It was the first film I ever made, right? So I, I wasn't planning to be in the film business. Um, I got in there by accident. I can tell you more about that if you want. But basically that. And also I was I was not only in pre-production, so I was there when they were developing costumes, but I also filmed it every day from the day one right through to the wrap. And normally when you work on films, you might get three weeks' work or a couple of weeks, you know. Um, to be able to work on a film right from day one to the finish is exceptional. I've never done it since. And to be doing that with Jim Henson and Frank Oz <laughs> as my teachers, I was learning how films work and how puppets work. So to me, that's the best memory, you know, in, in, in um, it, it's not as famous, but it's much more Im- important to my life. That's, that's the way it is. Absolutely. Yeah. And like, I, that I, makes sense. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and I guess what's interesting is, um, because of dark crystal, it had a very long kind of, um, uh, production schedule to to make the show um, absolutely yeah 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 um because i guess like it all started sort of in the late 70s so you you pretty much worked on it like pretty much full time for a good two or three years or well no i i, I well they'd been working on it yeah they did um 
I came in at the, I, I went to an audition at the, in sort of, I think it was September, October of 1980. And they were auditioning people for pre-production. So um, it was a very big call. Uh, and I wasn't, I didn't think I was going to be involved in it. But my mime teacher, I'd been doing mime and mask work to supplement the stuff I'd done before. And it was him that said to me, you must go for this audition. And I went, I don't do auditions. I'm a street performer. You know, I don't. And he said, no, 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 this is a, this is a one-off. They're advertising for acrobats, mimes, dancers to do, you know, physical performers to do big puppets. And he said, there's, you know, there's no qualification for this. They're just looking for people who could do it. Yeah, yeah, it seemed like they were just, yeah, just looking for anyone um, at that stage, yeah. Yeah, so uh, he was actually going, I think he was going for the movement coach because he'd done that before. So I think he wanted his students there as well, of course. He didn't actually get the job. Jean-Pierre Amiel got the job as the movement coach. But I ended up with the job. And um, they picked 10 people and they said, now four of you are going to work on the pre-production, developing the costumes and finishing all that. And the other six will come back next March, which would March 1981, to actually do the shooting. And I then so they made us compete again. We'd, we'd won the job, you know, and then the 10 of us competed and I squeezed into the four. So I was I was in the, the nitty gritty. And then I had a back problem and it's a real pain. I hadn't signed the contract at this point. It wasn't their fault. My back went out. I withdrew elegantly. Just I can't blame your training. I, I can't deliver the goods. And Simon Williamson took over. Yeah. So. Um, so then I missed the Christmas while I was fixing my back and getting it sorted and, and miserable because I thought I'd landed the job and then lost the job. <laughs> you know, you can, you can kick yourself. But uh, in March, I contacted them and went, I'm fit, I'm well, you know, and uh, they took me back in into the team of 10. So that was that was just the process of getting into it was hard enough. But then, but it meant I didn't do so much of the costume fitting and so on. I did a little bit of that. I, I should explain the the real reason that they wanted strange performers like us was that Jim I don't think he ever said it to me explicitly but but by implication he was aware that most aliens in you know in uh, Star Trek or Doctor Who aliens are humanoids with funny heads and funny hands that's what they are you know and it's a bit of disappointment and he actually wanted to make a movie first of all with no humans in it so you wouldn't see the scale you couldn't guess how big anything was and secondly that the aliens should be so cunningly built and disguised that you can't see the human in them. You don't recognize them as humanoid. So that, that process of, of doing the, uh, the mystics, for instance, where we're, we're, we're squatted down and hands over our heads and so on, uh, or the Gartham, they were designed to not look like human beings. Not even, you know, you can't even really see how it's done. And pod people are, are classic puppets, but, uh, the skexis are a mixture, you know, when they're, when they're static and the puppeteers are working hard, there's a hole in the ground and, and the puppeteers are, uh, are uh, half, half down under the floor. But when they're walking around, they're using little people like Mike Edmonds and people. So they, it's the magic of movies that, that they alternate between static puppets that are done by full-size Muppet performers and walkabout ones which are done by little people. Yeah, no, it seemed like they used kind of every trick of the book in the puppetry book in regards to all the techniques that... They used it. Well, I mean, it's an illusion, the whole thing. I think the original concept was quite... It was a lot darker. The, I mean, Jim wanted to get away from doing Muppets. That was the first thing. And if you imagine the creature shop had already made Yoda and everyone knew how Yoda was. You'd look at Yoda, he's just alive. You don't go, is that a little man in a mask or is that a puppet? You just don't. He's just Yoda. 
Uh, and that's really well done puppets. That's Frank Oz, of course. Because, I mean, the Dark Crystal, I, yeah, I was just thinking about, like, with Yoda. If Yoda was sort of like a test of proof that, okay, if people really believe in Yoda, then they could imagine, you know, then people can believe in a yeah. world that's full of puppetry. Do you believe that um, Star Wars is a result of that, or for the Empire Strikes Back? Yeah, I, well, George Lucas and Jim were very close, you know. I mean, obviously, Jim had done Yoda. I, I think of Dark Crystal as a showcase of what else you could do with the same level of technology. And this is 1980s technology, so it was quite primitive. You know, the controls we've got are, are like uh, camera releases and things like that to make people's eyes blink. But they were they were sort of stuck together in a primitive way, really. Um, but I, was a, I think Jim wanted, well, two things. It was a kind of a showcase of what else he could do, but also to, he was always very experimental, you know. And uh, I think he just wanted to do something just a bit more different. The original concept was that there wouldn't be any English language either, not only no humans, but all the characters would speak their own language, Gelfling language, Skeksis language, and so on. Now, whether they would have had subtitles or whether it was just going to be a real art house movie, it was going to be an alien concept. Now, the feedback from the producers and perhaps from George um, went, that's too strange. You know, um, we are going to have to dub this stuff into English and... You can tell George's influence right from the beginning, you know, in a, in a, in a country far away. <laughs> yeah, the, the rolling crew. But, I mean, someone, someone decided it had to be a little bit more commercial than the original dream, which was to make a totally strange movie. Because that, that was, like, based on, uh, I think, the work print. And, yeah, like, I recall, like, yeah, hearing about when they did the first preview screenings and, yeah, there was just, like, an, a negative feedback. Um, yeah, yeah. Just, yeah. just for the audience not really understanding what's going on just because they're all talking in this different language. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And like, I mean, I, I, I mean, I, I like that original concept. I, yeah. I would have loved it. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I, I would love it if um, if the Jim Henson sort of, if I were able to kind of restore it and, you know, restored like the work print as sort of like a an extra, you know, like a special, sure. not like some, like a, just an added special feature. Well, yeah, from, I mean, it, yeah. it's all there. I'm, I imagine the material's there, but it, but it would mean uh, dubbing it because obviously on the, on the set, the Skeksis were speaking English, the puppet people were doing English, so to do his concept, they would have had to, to dub it afterwards um, into the strange language. You know what I mean? I mean, Ogre was dubbed later, you know, she, she was spoken on set by Frank Oz, and then Billy Whitelaw put a voice on, because Frank doesn't have a big range of voices. That's, he said that, and, you know. It, it, I mean, I, 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 I always spoil Yoda for people by saying, if you listen very carefully, you'll hear a mixture of Fozzie Bear and Miss Piggy <laughs> in the voice. Yeah. Because Frank is, is it, yeah. behind it. And, behind you know, it yeah. Some people are, are real voice impressionists. Yes. And some people can do a little range, but actually you can kind of hear. The illusion works perfectly because the puppet takes over the character. But once you are watching a film and listening carefully, there's, there's only so much range you have. Um, Frank's voice works beautifully for the Chamberlain Skeksis. That's him doing all those, you know, I can't do that. Um, but that's Frank doing it, and it fits beautifully. But he wanted Ogre to be disguised, so they, they you know, they, they camouflage that. Very aware of their limits, and, and they were very keen to get it just right. Uh, I remember one day when um, we were watching The Rushes, because we were all invited to go to The Rushes, which, you know, Nowadays, you can watch video playback, but, but then you were watching stuff that was processed overnight. And everybody was invited. It was not compulsory. You weren't, you weren't ordered to. It was after work. And normally in movies, only producers and directors get to watch that stuff. But because Jim was so aware that puppeteering is quite tricky to know what you were doing and how well it worked, 
he invited everybody to the theatre. So there was a big social event. You know, there'd be a hundred of us in the thing, and you're watching repeat. You know, you're watching five takes of the same scene. It can be kind of boring. But I remember one uh, one night uh, there was a Gen scene. You know, and a little a little. Uh, thing came up like on the silent movies with uh, mr henson apologizing for how wimpy jen's voice is he's aware of this and it, he will be dubbing it later and you know just they would actually make that a social event and, and a funny time um, because they worked on keeping a creative atmosphere and a fun atmosphere because two things can happen in film studios you can be terrified which freezes the behavior or bored which doesn't help and um the muppets keep well, that's why people, you can feel it when you watch the old Muppet TV shows, the sheer glee of the whole thing, you know, and they kept that, that atmosphere going on, on Dark Crystal. Plus, it was an adventure for everybody, so no one was better qualified. I mean, although it was my first film, Jim was doing something he'd never done before. So there was that real adventure that if anyone's got a bright idea how to get this to work, then contribute, you know, don't uh, don't hold back and think someone's in charge and that feeling that you could actually make a comment or a contribution was amazing. Yeah. And, and was there any like contributions that, that you made like, um, during the shoot of the dark crystal or, or even in the pre production stage or yeah. Well, well, yes and no. I mean, uh, because we were, our main job was to do this, the, the, uh, the, um, Gotham and, and the mystics. So the mystics, we did a lot of workshopping on our own and then Jim and Frank would drop in and to see what we'd been doing. Um, and that involved both movement and, um, you know, creativity for, for things like they, they actually have four hands, for instance. Now, mostly they're, they're single performers. So you've only got two hands, you've got one hand in the head. So you've only got one free hand and the other hands are all dead, really. So, but for certain shots, for instance, we would sit around. I think there's a shot where one of them is playing the harp and, and there, there's another puppeteer hidden in the back, putting his hands out. So you've actually got four hands going at once. So that, that kind of creative input we would be doing in our development process um, before it went in front of the camera. And that was the pre-production stuff where we contributed. And just things like the Landstriders didn't exist. When, when I first uh, joined the crew, um, they hadn't got around to Landstriders. And we were workshopping to try and invent weird creatures. I mean, four of us would stand back to back, link arms and try and make a, an eight-legged spider and then go, could you put a costume over that? You know, yeah. <laughs> we'd be running out the studio doing weird things. And um, Robbie Barnett came in. He was another clown like me, another street performer, but he was a stilt walker. And he came in with his six-foot stilts um, just to show them, you know, and said, uh, and you could put front legs on this. And then he started wandering around. And somebody went, aha, woof, look at this. Let's build something around that, you know. <laughs> so Landstriders actually appeared after we'd started working. So that's, that's the kind of level of involvement we had. Once it started shooting, it all, it all calms down, of course, you know, because you've got schedules and um, the various departments are competing, mm. of course. <laughs> the art departments, are, who gets finished first? Because if, if our stuff's finished, we can show it. But, you know, if they're shooting this scene, so it, the, the pressure comes on them because it's, you know, it's 500 pounds a minute or something to be shooting. And that's in the 80s. So if you waste five minutes, you've just wasted, you know, a fortune. So then the pressure goes on. Um, and you don't start improvising so much. I mean, you you you, you may you may contribute a solution to a, a particular problem, um, like in the pod people, for instance. The job I was given was a foot juggler, oh, yes, and yeah. uh, I had a problem with that because I was off rehearsing it for a couple of weeks. What he is, the foot juggler is lying on his back on on another puppet's back, right, with his feet in the air, 
and I, I know gravity is very hard to simulate, especially on strings. But I practiced it and I got it perfect. I had it perfect. And then in the day, on the day, one of the other puppeteers, I think, I can't remember who it was, but anyway, one of the other puppeteers takes over the bottom puppet. And because he's got nothing to do, he feels he ought to do something. So when I'm going to kick, he boosts. Well, if he boosts, the strings go slack and uh, the gravity yeah, goes. <laughs> and I was trying to shout down, because you've got 150 people on the set. I'm going, don't do that. To shout to a senior puppeteer, don't do anything, is really hard. So um, the take they used is one where the strings are wrong to me. I mean, it's just quality control. And I didn't mind because it's in the background. We did a couple of good ones. We did a bad one. But everyone else was writing the bad one for me. Okay. <laughs> and you see? Yeah. So I didn't mind because when I saw it on the screen, I go, ooh, ouch, because you watch your own bits. But it didn't matter. And then, then I, one day I watched it on TV once, and they've got a pan and scan version. So instead of the wide shot with me up in the background, they go to close-up of me doing it badly. <laughs> so I, you know, and now I, just, I don't even mention that that's me doing it because it looks as though I'm not very good. Film is always a compromise. If, if you've got a scene with 15 people in it, the chance that everybody and the lighting and the sound everybody at once, they choose the least worst, really, of, of the available footage. There's no point going to the continuity and going, I wasn't very good in that, can we do it again? Because it just won't happen. You know? <laughs> You're just not that important. And um, that was, that's part of the learning curve, you know, of, of doing movies. You suddenly realise you're not actually very important. Um, <laughs> for that, for that you'd moment, like yeah. to be perfect. Yeah. Um, uh, like it, it is one of my favourite scenes, yeah. The puddling party, just all these puddlings are just, well, it's, yeah. It's, it's very, it, you know, it's a, bit, it's a bit Muppety. You know, it's the nearest thing to Muppets they've got in there. Really. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's a lot of fun. And there's so much detail, it doesn't really matter. But the first time you watch a film through that you've worked on you can't help but look at your bits it's very hard not to you know because you, you don't really watch the movie the way other people watch the movie you, you you can remember the Wednesday you did that or that you weren't feeling very well or you know and and uh, I, now I've watched it and watched it more or less like a an ordinary person and go oh, I, I still like it I think I would have preferred it weird I think I would have liked it even dark it goes a little bit slack in the in the middle to me just the pacing of it. Yeah, yeah, just a tad slower. And... Just a little, just a little. But that's, you know, that's also familiarity with it. And um, it wasn't that big a success at the time, you know, when it came out. It, it's got a, it's, it's been a, one of those slow sleeper cult building things. But to me, it was such an extraordinary experiment that one of the reasons it's coming back, I think, is because now they're, people are getting bored with CGI. I mean, they've even told Star Wars, you've got to do practical effects that I think people are going back to that stuff now and going, look at that. That's virtually, there's, there's almost no CGI in that at all. There's one or two little graphic effects with light and stuff, but, you know, it's basically all really there and three-dimensional. Yeah, and, um, and I don't know whether it's like, if it's the people that are sort of running the studios, they're, they're sort of the ones that grew up with all that stuff in the 80s and sort of, yeah, yeah, there's almost coming yeah. full circle in that regard, maybe, yeah. Yeah, I, I think so, and just, and because grown-ups now can watch it, because it, it's a bit dark for a kid's movie, really. There's some sinister bits. Um, but it's also a bit childish for an adult movie. So it's one of those sort of... I think now adults watching it with their kids, it's, it's, it kind of works. And kids are a little bit less scared now than they used to, you know, even 30 years ago. Uh, kids are a bit more sophisticated, so... Yeah, yeah. Um, um, like, I remember like, when I watched it as a kid, yeah, I was... Yeah, I was, like, scared of it, you know, with the skit season. 
in the yeah, when they tear, they tear this Chamberlain's clothes off, and it's quite wow. This Ooh. is ooh, yeah, I know, it's pretty full on. They're all cackling away. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, but it's good natured in the back of it. It's good natured, you know. So yeah, yeah, and even like watching recently, you know. So I guess growing up with it, you know, like I, yeah, I guess as a filmmaker, like I, I really appreciate more kind of now than ever, you know, because of all the work that you done and, and yeah. Jim Henson and, and Frank Oz, you know, just, just to creating that whole world, like from scratch, essentially that's yeah. Unlike any, any other film and still kind of is to this day. Well, the, the detail is extraordinary. I mean, the amount of money that went into that, he, he, I don't know if you know the background, but basically Jim wanted to make this movie and Lou Grade didn't really want to fund it. I mean, you know, this is only my, this is only hearsay, but I gather Lou Grade was going, oh, why would I pay for a film like that? It doesn't sound very commercial. And Jim said, he said, okay, you can, you can do this thing, but you have to do me another Muppet film. You know, so you can do the both. I'll fund them, but I want at least one more of your commercial ones. Uh, that's why, yes, it developed over a long time. But, it, but um, Jim got together an extraordinary team of builders and, and designers. When we went to, once they'd hired the performers like us, we went to the Creature Shop, which was opposite his house. Um, it was a huge building and it was just amazing I mean every single thing the hands for the for the mystics for instance have an extra two joints on here so we're wearing there's a leather strap here with tendons like on the back of your hand running right up there so that we could then do these gestures but bigger you know like long fingers and you'd get one guy that was doing that and you'd have another guy who's doing uh, radio controlled eyes and you'd have another guy doing and then there was the skin and the costumes and, uh, you know, um, just so many specialists. And a lot of them had never done films or puppets before. So he'd, he'd drawn in all kinds of talents to, to put together. And it, I think it's that detail that means that, for instance, if, I haven't got Blu-ray, but I imagine that if you look at Dark Crystal, uh, where you can see even more detail, it will never go wrong. I mean, the, the closer you look, the more detail there is. And that's why I'm like, um, I kind of started up <laughs> a thing on the um, Dark Crystal forums about, you know, oh, what would you like, you know, if they did like a 4K um, Blu-ray version of the yeah. film, um, you know, even get more detail than you would on the Blu-ray. Um, yeah. So even, yeah, the thought of that is, you know, a little bit exciting, you know, <laughs> even though it would be many years before, you know, if it does happen. Um, yeah. That's it's hard to tell, but I, I just know that when you were really there, I, I couldn't believe the detail. I was going, surely this isn't going to show. But somehow you're aware of the detail. You're aware of the fact that those costumes, just everything, the Skeksis cutlery, you know, the, all the stuff on the fingertips, all the jewellery and things, it's all beautifully made by some specific person, one specialist doing that, and the best in their field um, for everything. There are very few films, so it must have been quite a high budget, um, but there are very few films with that much attention to detail, even now, I think. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I didn't realise how spoiled I was to be doing that as a first film, to to know, you know, because since then I've been on films where it, it was it was you know, quick and dirty, do you know what I mean? You, you need good enough and move on. To be working with such perfectionists was, was extraordinary. Yeah, like, um, yeah, like every shot had to be really spot on. Um, yeah. Well, you know, as best as you get, like I say, nothing's ever quite what you imagine when you're doing it. There's always a slight disappointment because your imagination, you know, is, is perfect. 
But yeah, apart from the big characters, the reason it was fun for us, all of us, the puppeteers, was that we were never sitting around in our dressing room doing nothing. Um, uh, and we were working all the time so that we were on the set. Um, when we weren't doing our big creatures, each of us was assigned to one of the Muppet people because these are three and four man puppets, right? And I got picked to be on Jim Henson's team. Now, I don't know what I did to deserve that. I, I like to think he picked me because I was the best, but it's possible that he's such a modest man that he let everyone else pick first and went, I'll take the, the yeah. leftover. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Um, but uh, it's also temperament. You know, if, if you're a loud, there's a couple of loud and crazy guys and they would need people of the same temperament. Uh, Jim picked me and Robbie Barnett and we're both vegetarian, peaceful introverts. You know, okay, yeah. I know I'm being out now, but, you know, <laughs> Temperamentally, we had similar kind of characteristics. And I think if you've got to be really telepathic to be doing a, a character, for instance, on Jim's characters, he's doing the head with his right hand, doing the left hand of Jen and Ritual Master and things, and I'm just stuck in his armpit here doing the other hand. Now, if you know, you can see with my hands now, if these hands don't actually match up very well, uh, it's going to look silly. Now, there are times when you don't want it to be the same, uh, gesture. There are times when important things are happening, and you have to rehearse this stuff. You know, and you're not doing it with your own hands, by the way. You're doing it with a mechanical hand on the end of a grip gun. You know, uh, and a claws. And Jim was so wonderful to work with. He um, he never lost his temper at me. Wrong, even if you had to do another take. You know what I mean? I'm not saying I did wrong all the time, but to get that just the way you want. You know, I, I could just accidentally put a hand in front of the face. You know what I mean? And it would be wrong. Yeah, like he was he was happy to take his time um, throughout most of the shoot, yeah. He he was just a perfect teacher and he never lost his cool. Uh, he would say something like, I don't think that really works. Uh, how about, should we try this? You know, as opposed to that's wrong, do something else. And if I was really stuck, he would find a solution. Like he'd say, well, you know, he'd, he'd say, just, just hang on to the jacket while I do the talking. Do you know what I mean? Uh, it's... He was always a creative and positive person about it all. And uh, Frank Oz came over to me one day and he said, it's boring, isn't it? And I said, what? And he went, just being stuck in his armpit doing one hand. Uh, I went, no, no, it's fascinating. It's exciting. You know? And he went, no, it's boring. Don't tell me. He said, I did it for two years before they gave me my own puppet. <laughs> been in Frank's, you know. It'd yeah. been... But uh, there was, that's what they were like. They were positive about everything. And that's, they kept this lovely energy going. So, you know, that, that's, that's uh, you can tell, I, I, I dearly love them both, but particularly Jim, because I worked right next to him, you know, sharing sweat for, for, <laughs> for months. <laughs> yeah, he was just a lovely guy. Yeah, and what was it like uh, meeting, I guess, Jim Hansen for the first time? Was that during the audition process or? Just rolling it back a little bit. My dad was a puppeteer and his second wife was a puppeteer. And I, I, I never worked out whether... It helped me get the job that I had puppet experience. I didn't want to be a puppeteer, you know. I mean, I was a juggler and acrobat and magician and stuff. But yeah, neither, um, neither did Jim Henson, you know. <laughs> I, I know Jim. Jim did come over to me one day and he said, "Do you know what? Um, I think I know your mother." And I went, "No, you probably know my dad's second wife." And he went, "Oh, all right, yeah." So he he must have thought of me as part of the puppet subculture because there is a puppet subculture in the arts. And puppetry was never considered an art form. The arts does not pay uh, for puppets. And, uh, and I was working in circus, which is another art form that they don't consider art because they like opera and ballet and, you know. 
So Jim was one of the first people that got people to take puppets seriously. Since then, the Arts Council now does recognise it as an art form. But back then, I, I think Jim was hiring every puppet talent he could find in the, in the country. Um, not just builders, but also operators. And I think I lucked in slightly because to have the puppet experience, to be able to do puppets without fear, do you know what I mean? But also to be physically fit, because I was an acrobat and a mime, I, I could do that, the, the uncomfortable jobs as well. And I just happened to be in the right place at the right time with the right skills. I really didn't set out to do that. But um, I think he was subsidising the puppet industry because if you think you take people who are, who are underpaid and, uh, you know, doing their own little thing, and you just take them for three months and you pay them, you know, 500 pounds a week. Well, whatever that, that would be two grand a week now or something. Um, he, he's basically subsidizing the, the art form that he loved right the way across London. Um, there were just so many puppet people in there and same on Labyrinth. So I think I was cheating. It's like, I think I was bluffing, you know, I was, uh, it wasn't really the thing that I was dedicated to, but, um, yeah, it was just a great, great experience. Um, I, and, and it worked well for me, just, just on a personal level. I, I just had a son and he was, you know, he's not quite two years old. I needed more money than a street juggler. And the money arrived at the right time and, you know, all that sort of thing. So it is just one of the better times of my life, that, that working on that film. But some of it's really silly. Um, apart from, see, I get a credit as the alchemist. Now, they... Everyone gets a credit, but they couldn't possibly credit what we did because if we worked for, I think it was nearly six months, uh, and very rarely sitting in our dressing room doing nothing. So as well as the alchemist and the Gartham that I was doing, and then Jim's things, the Jen and the ritual master. Um, and the pod people. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Everyone would get background things. So if, if they're walking through the forest, there'd be all these strange creatures, little creatures coming out the stream and... You know, uh, I might be in the background with a butterfly on a wire just behind a tree, going, you know, making a butterfly fly. You're never not doing anything. And some of them are really silly ones. There's there's a it's a, it's a split second in the film. I think he's walking through the woods at some point and these propeller flower things take off. Yeah, it's just, in, in a sort of swampy. Yeah, I think it was in that swamp environment. Yeah, swampy. Yeah, 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 they, yeah, they, just, yeah. they just fly yeah. away. Well. They tried pulling them up with a string. They they got up in the ceiling and they had a string on them and they tried pulling them up and of course they just swung around. And they, you know, uh, they couldn't figure it out. So then they decided they were going to film it in reverse and we and they sharpened the tips of them and we were going to go up in the in the ceiling right near the hot lights and have one in each hand and spin them and drop them like playing darts <laughs> and get them to stick in the ground. Oh, and right. they filmed it in slow motion and backwards. Yeah, yeah. And uh, we spent the whole <laughs> afternoon on the second unit doing that. There were about eight of us up there. I don't remember exactly, but, you know, half a dozen of us up there, each with two of these things. And you go, ready, get set, yeah. go! <laughs> <laughs> because to make it slow motion, the camera's going really fast, so it's running a lot of film, and it's very expensive. So we're on the second unit doing this. And, of course, any one of them doesn't stick in, and you've blown the shot. So it was like playing darts. You're trying to get yours to stick in, because, of course, if it, if it bounced off, then in reverse it's doing something peculiar. Um, that's how much detail goes into like I say it's what three seconds on the screen and it was half a dozen of us for six hours I think playing darts <laughs> just for a half a second shot but, you yeah. know you go to work you'd never know what you're going to be doing going to work another of the funny ones is in in the castle 
there are these little spider things that run around the ground. Um, they just, and they were, they were things from a joke shop. They were just a little metal thing with two legs. You wound them up. And when you let them go, the legs go, and they just run about the room. You know, They'd cover them with feathers and fur. They had boxes of them. And if you weren't doing anything on that shop, you just hid somewhere in the corridor with a couple of these wound up, ready to go, and they go, ready, action, and, and you just let them go. And of course, they're random things. They just bounce about, and they do silly stuff. They might run around in circles, or they might run into the wall and go smack, you know. Yeah. But, uh, you know, um, we were having fun. There's one in the banquet where, where they tried to get one to run right along the table with all the skexes all afternoon trying to get a clean run in one go actually there's an edit there because we just could never do it it always jumped off the table or something um, but that's how much fun we were having you know um, uh, and how much again how much attention to detail they're going well, let's just try this you know if we if we can't get it we'll cut it and we'll do two or three bits but it would be great if we could just get one to run along the top of the table yeah. but these little details they're funny now um they're even funnier when you're doing it. You're going, am I really being paid a lot of money to wind this thing up and let it run across the corridor? I mean, is this a skill or what is this? <laughs> yeah. And um, I, I guess like, you know, you played a Mystic and, and, and a, um, the Gartham and, and Podlings yeah. and all that kind of stuff. Um, what was yeah. probably the most, I guess, the most challenging out of, you know, the whole puppeteering, you know, with the Gartham or the Mystics? Well, they're different things. Um, again, temperament is part of it. Uh, being a being a quite a slow, quiet person, I enjoyed being a mystic, and I can do a deep squat without my heels coming off the ground. I mean, I'm fairly fit, so I would sit in there patiently, and because we didn't, we couldn't see anything. Nowadays, again, you'd have a miniature camera in the forehead and, and a little thing on your goggles, and we were actually working blind in there, so we had to mark all the moves out, uh, and then just you know when the head's down. Mm just do it um but i really liked being a mystic temperamentally it suited me to sit there patiently on my little stool trancing out because it's quite painful and uncomfortable you have to go into a kind of a trance to play the character and it sort of matches the character right so there were a couple of lively guys that weren't so flexible who were having a terrible time in there they hated it but um we had a turkish guy called hus who uh hated being a mystic, loved being a Gartham because he was a muscular guy and he was energetic. And, of course, I, could, I can do a Gartham, but not like him because acting through a puppet, you've really got to put the energy through. You're covered in costume and it's quite hard to transmit the energy through that. You know? Yeah, like you'd have to like put um, almost twice as much work, you know, yeah. bring it to, oh, absolutely. to life. Yeah. So, for instance, to give you an idea, you can I can tell you which one he is because mostly they're anonymous. But when they break down the, the pod people's um, hut where they're having the party, uh, it's Hoose that comes through the wall. Because we, these things, uh, we'd have the big leggings on all the time. Then they'd put this shell on, which weighed about, I don't know, I don't know what it was, 70 pounds? I don't know, I don't know, 50 kilos? I'm not sure. Heavy, anyway. Um, and then you'd be wandering around in these things with these big counterbalanced arms, which are quite a lot longer than ours, and have blades on. Or the, or the claw, um, and you're swinging these around. Now, you could break someone's leg with this thing. I mean, if, if I'd swung it around like that without thinking, I could easily hurt someone. So we each had a binder who would tell us what we're doing, and we'd only put the helmet on for the actual shot. Again, we were blind once we had the helmet on. Um, well, virtually blind, we could just see that much. So they said to Hoos, they brought Hoos down. They brought us all down, actually, but they said to Hoos, they showed him this plaster wall, and they said, 
would you like to smash that down? You know, and he went just just for once, not being careful with the blade, but actually, can you smash that down? We'll get all the people out of the way, you know. Um, and he just he, he was having such a fabulous day that day. He went, you know, they've just let him do the thing he's always wanted to do. Yes, and you, but you can feel it in the shot when yes, he comes sir. through that wall. It's genuinely scary. Yeah, that's, is, yeah. um, that's a monster out of control. Yeah. Um, I might have been able to do it, but I suspect the energy that he puts into it is what you feel on the screen. I mean, I'm quite happily being a Garth around the background, shuffling around. <laughs> but, uh, that final pow, you know, um, comes through because it's the same with puppets with a, with an ordinary single pup, puppet, you know, you've, you've got to put all your acting up there. Um, it's not just like wearing a mask here and your body adds to it. You have to, the skill of it is putting all the energy up there. Down the bottom, there's a switched-off person performing, probably looking at the monitor to see what, what they're doing. Sometimes pulling faces if they've got to make the voice a bit strange, you know, you, you're pulling your face. But essentially, all of your energy is going up the arm. So when you're in with those big characters, you're amplifying what you do. And that's where you need a director to tell you that that's not big enough. It's, um, it's you know, you, you think you're doing something massive, but actually it's not coming across. It's, well, it's, I've been in a gorilla costume and it was the same. You know, you have to do everything much. It has to be like this uh, to look to look the way you imagine you're doing. What you're doing is, is too timid and too small. So I, I, me personally, I, I found Gartham challenging in the sense of it was really hard work. Um, and it's also not my temperament. That's I don't mind playing baddies because I've played Jabber, you know. Uh, I felt like a mystic, and a, and a mystic. Uh, once we were doing mystics, I uh, I I could f push that out. Yeah. I could feel that yeah. glow coming. Yeah, it felt right at home for you. Yeah. 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 But when you saw the Dark Crystal, you know, at its premiere, or for the first yeah. time, like, what what was what was your like reaction or thoughts on it? Like, well, it, I mean, first of all, I saw bits I'd never seen filmed because, although most of it was done where we were around. There were second unit things. The stuff on the boat was done out in the lake, for instance. There were one or two things that were a slight disappointment um, just because I'd forgotten bits. On day one, when they, shook, they shot, shot the, the, the mystics in the circle, my head wasn't quite working properly. And although I had my thumb, the, the jaws, you can have positive jaws where you have to push it to open or you can have ones where you, you push it to close, right? And mine was pushed closed and, and I'm in the foreground and it was slack. So he's actually there with his jaw open like a, bit, a little bit, uh, uh, you know. And I didn't see it until the rushes. And, and once I complained to the, uh, the, the guys building it, they fixed it. So the very opening shot, it's me going, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, most of it was wonderfully impressive because I'd never seen the full edit. Like I say, you tend to watch your own bits, but uh, to see the full performance put together was exciting because I'd never seen a film that I'd worked on put together. And, of course, the music and, and other things which, which we hadn't experienced. And, and uh, you know, some of the special effects, the, the, the lights, the, uh, you know, the, the, just one or two things that they've added that weren't there on the set when we were doing it or that we didn't get to watch in the rushes. So my first impression was uh, extremely proud to have been part of it, to be sitting in the crowd with all those people, everyone who, because everyone cares about their bit. The, the lighting man's watching the lighting, the makeup woman's watching the makeup. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, 
you have to watch it more than once before you really, really um, get the hang of it. But we were very proud of it. Did think it was a little bit of a difficult movie. I suspected it wasn't going to be a, a smash hit because it's still a little bit strange. It is. Um, yeah. I like I like strange, yeah, but it, you know, I, I thought it was a bit demanding, shall we say? Mm. But yeah, the, that first watch through was really amazing, and I just. Uh, when I did Dark Crystal, I thought it was a one-off job. You know, I just went, well, you know, like I've actually done TV. As it happened, because the same crew, the same film studio and the same management people were making Return of the Jedi next in the same Then I was offered the job of Jabba and uh, I thought I'd graduated from being a, a, you know, a small part player to a, a feature player. Um, not with the Hensons, but thanks to their training. Um so by the time I watched Dark Crystal, I'd already done the Star Wars film, and I was starting to think I was in the film business. You know, I'm like, oh, you know, that's that's what I do for a living. Because I didn't work again for another eight months after after Star Wars. You know, I was sitting around waiting for the phone to go. I didn't want to go back to juggling in the streets because I was in the film business. You know, and uh, nothing happened. So going to watch the preview was was a, a reminder that, of how I felt. I am now part of the film business. Look, all these my friends, they're all in the film business. Um, so there was that lovely camaraderie, you know, the the, um, the feeling of fame and fortune. But uh, of course, when people said, "Are you working?" you go, "No, <laughs> not at the moment." Like all that you know, sitting yeah. around, waiting. yeah. <laughs> so yeah, mixed yeah. feelings, you know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, I, I'm still proud of it, and I still occasionally watch it. Um, not that often, you know. Um, I mean, my partner's not, never even watched it. She's not that interested in what I was doing in the 80s. Okay. Uh, it's not, you know, it's not my sort of thing, yeah. fantasy feature films. I go, well, you're not even interested in what I did. <laughs> okay, I don't care. <laughs> you know, each their own. I don't want to drag people through it. No. <laughs> but, uh, no, it's good enough that I still watch it um, for my own amusement. And now I can watch it without cringing at my own little bits, you know. Uh, yeah, like because every time I watch it, like I always get a different kind of experience, or you know, notice something that I've never, you know, yeah. seen the first time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. hundred times. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, no, but it's it's that thing of uh, there is so much detail there that that um, you know you can shift your attention and and see a different version. Um, I do prefer the DVD to the pan and scan. TV version though I was disappointed by the way they changed the focus but again that's that's it's out of our control that um, I'd love to see it in the cinema again I haven't seen it in the cinema for a while because I think it deserves the big screen it does yeah you know, yeah. You know TV screens are, are only so good really I know people are used to them now but the first time to see it we saw it on you know whoops yeah. <laughs> we saw it in the left square yeah. on a really big screen with a really big sound system and that was fact that was just fabulous you know yeah yeah i mean for me like um even you know i was born in 87 so um i also grew up in so the vhs era of you know watching a lot of movies on yeah, yeah. vhs but um but i did get the opportunity to see um the dark crystal i think in the early 2000s um in in melbourne um which was pretty great great and and recently um another cinema um the Astle theater they've started uh screening the dark crystal as well which in the past they do a lot of they always screen the labyrinth at least like a couple of times right. a year. And they yeah, started yeah, recently right. showing the dark crystal because everyone's been actually been demanding it for such a long time. Um, and yeah. yeah, I mean, it is great. Yeah. To see it, to watch on the big screen, you know, the way it was meant to be seen. And, and with a gang of people, you know, with it, there, there is a different thing to watching it at home and stopping for coffee and putting on pause to answer the phone. And, you know, 
there's something about sitting in a cinema with a couple of hundred other people. Yes, yeah. Um, who are fans. You know, yeah, I mean, course, it's yeah. different. If In modern cinema with people fidgeting and answering phones, it's horrible. But because I saw, I saw it a couple of years ago, I think um, I saw it in a, a local art cinema. And it was just a, a room full of fans, you know. And uh, they'd actually asked me, it's our local art centre, they actually asked me if I'd do a little Q&A afterwards as well. So I was not only watching it and memorising bits, but also, you know, listening to the crowd response. So yes, when yeah. I got up to do the Q&A afterwards, I could actually pick on things. You may have noticed this and I, you know, uh, realising which bits work for people. Um, and with their fans, it is a different audience. They, they, they do already know it by heart. They have their favourite scenes. But it's lovely watching, just again, just the enthusiasm of a couple of hundred people is a diff- different thing to watching it at home. Yeah, definitely, yeah. Especially like with some of the scenes, um, I think, I'm just trying to think like of scenes that pick up to me, you know, seeing it in the big screen and one of which is probably the Chamberlain's whimperings and um, and I guess the shock when, um, you know, when Fizz Geek just pops out, open, out yes. of nowhere. It's <laughs> yeah. so funny because even though, you know, I've seen this film so many times, but um, every time I watch it, like I'm still trying to anticipate when Bisky is gonna yeah. come out, and I can never, can never get it right. No, <laughs> so no. It's gonna be now. Well, you know, if, if it's well done, <laughs> yeah. it'll catch you every time. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, that's that's the other stuff that I don't know much about. No. That's editing and, and, and directing, isn't it? Of course, and timing. Yeah. yeah. I mean, like the jokes are still funny, uh, and you know. So um, I know they weren't trying to be funny, but they can't help but be funny. I mean, the Chamberlain's Weasley ways. It just makes me laugh. It's just there's something about, and he's supposed to be a baddie, and he is a baddie. He's yes. a very scary baddie. He is, yeah. But he's still funny as well, you know. Yeah. It's uh, it's clever stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much for um uh, for the opportunity to be able to chat to you about the Dark Crystal. Oh no worries, no worries. You've already taken too long, Delfling. Hurry! At last, the crystal calls. It is time. Time to return to the castle. The crystal calls! To the crystal chamber! Well, that's all the time I have for this month's Trial by Stone. Big thanks to Toby for being this month's guest. If you want to contact myself about the show, send me an email at trialbystonepodcast at gmail.com. You can follow us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash trial by stone podcast or on Twitter at trial by stone pod. If you enjoyed the show and think that others would like it too, then write a review on iTunes and help other Dark Crystal fans find out about the podcast. The more reviews there are, the more new listeners will find out about the show. I hope you all enjoyed this podcast and come back for the next episode of Trial by Stone.